0: Heavenly Father, we come before you this night. Once again, we just ask that you would take our time together, encourage us, give us a greater understanding of your word, and help us to serve you more in these last days. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. All right. Let's take our Bibles, and we're going to start Galatians chapter 2. Just trying to get one more sermon in on faith before the end of the year, and, and uh, I think we've touched all around this subject, but I couldn't find any record that had actually preached one whole message on just this uh, subject, and that is faith and works. Um, we have uh, uh, if you like theological terms, uh, uh, and this will be fun for sign language, it's called Pelagianism, because there is a fellow called Pelagius, and uh, Mr. Pelagius said that you, in order to get to heaven, must perform certain good works to earn your salvation. Of course, Uh, Just hearing that statement, all of a sudden we understand very quickly and assuredly that Mr. Pelagius was a heretic, is what we would call him. Uh, Someone who does not believe that faith in Jesus Christ alone can save you. And and he was uh, argued in his thoughts and his theology, we might say, was argued down through uh, many hundreds of years and until we settled basically where we are today. We had the Reformation come and it says, uh, only by grace are you saved. And the Reformers made that uh, their main plea and, and Martin Luther was so strong in his belief that salvation was by grace that when we get to James chapter 2, which we're going to in just a few moments, he didn't want to put that in his Bible because it said that faith is supposed to produce works. And he was so reactionary to a works-based salvation. Now, let me tell you something. James is very clear, our Bible is very clear, that... You cannot get faith by works. But if your faith doesn't work, it's not going to take you to heaven. You see, we must understand that faith saves without works. But works is what is the visible judge Of your salvation. Amen? Uh, By their works. Ye shall know them. If your faith doesn't do something. uh, That was like several years ago. Um, They had this. um, Oh, Ivy League professor. I don't remember what college she was. released this hidden papyrus that she had. And in this papyrus that was supposed to date back to the first century A.D., just a little scrap, it talked about Jesus, the husband of Mary, was the only readable phrase really in the whole thing. And this was supposed to debunk the entire truth of the Bible. Does anybody remember that? I mean, it made big news. It was released the week before Easter. Now, if you follow these things at all, you would know that four or five years previous to that, this same papyrus, hidden, secret, was released, and immediately even the Bible-hating scholars said, we're not going to take credit for this, it's a total fraud. Uh, it was judged a complete fabrication and invention of somebody's perverted mind To cast aspersion on the truth of the gospel. And yet, it was re-released the week before Easter in this person's attempt to overthrow the faith of some. You see, my faith is not based on somebody's piece of papyrus. It's based upon what's written in this book. And we've been through this. In fact, I want you to pray. I'm praying about bringing out the uh, series on how we got our Bible again. And uh, because that's a subject that really we we need to uh, keep going through because uh, the entire quote-unquote world of scholarship has rejected the authority of this book called the Bible. And yet, any honest scholar evaluating the facts is going to end up right here, right here alone in the English language. And, uh, so as, as we look at all of these things, and, and when that came out, uh, the, the whole reason I told you that story was this. There was, Uh, one of these little preachers who wanted his 15 seconds of fame, and and, uh, he said, My faith stands firm whether the historic Jesus actually existed or not. Now, I don't know anything more foolish that a person could say than that. Our faith is based on the historical person of Jesus of Nazareth. Uh, He lived. He was born. We just celebrated Christmas. Amen? And, of course, we know Jesus wasn't born on Christmas. But I hope you had fun anyway. Amen? Uh, It's okay to enjoy yourself as a Christian. Uh, anything I can do to be at odds with the Jehovah's Witnesses, I'm going to do it. Amen. A- anything to stick my finger in the eye of the ACLU and the atheist uh, organizations, I'm, I'm just going to do it. Amen. I love saying Merry Christmas. And <laughs> sorry, I maybe a little bit in the flesh there, but for all the people that uh, shudder and get upset, there are many more that oh. Thank you. And and those are the people I'm after. How about you? And and so what we are trying to do here is understand that there is a relationship between faith and works. And so we start here in Galatians chapter 2. And we're going to start in verse 16. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. How could you get any more plain than that? Uh, Does anyone need a commentary to understand what this verse just said? Paul is saying, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law. You cannot get salvation by works. Can't do it. No matter how many good works you do. And yet... Let's let's just read on here. I want to get this. Verse 17. But if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, is therefore Christ the minister of sin? God forbid. For if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. Now, we look at these two verses and I will tell you, I, I checked some commentaries and, boy, I couldn't find one that made sense of this passage. How many of you remember in your struggle towards salvation that you tried to be good enough to please God? Did anybody try that? Did you struggle with that? And what did you find out? No matter how much good you did, you still got some sin stuffed in there, didn't you? In fact, that's why every church has some type of confessional restitution, something there. Because even when you're trying to do right, you still do wrong. Anybody got a problem with that? How many of you have ever tried to do something good, to make up for something bad that you did. You see, here's the problem. And Paul points out the primary flaw of a works-based salvation. If I build, okay, in verse 18, for if I build again the things which I destroyed... What does sin do in our life? Sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth what? Death. Sin destroys. And if I try to do good things, to take care of the bad things I have done, Am I not convicting myself of my own transgressions? Do you get it? That's how simple this passage really and truly is. While I'm trying to do right, I find myself a sinner. The closer I get to Christ, the more sinful I see myself. Because I don't stop sinning. I wish I did, don't you? Now, that doesn't mean that we're going out there and committing murder and adultery and all of these things every day, but you don't have to commit one of the big three to go to hell, my friend. How many sins does it take for the penalty of death to be imputed to your life? Just one. And as I seek to please Christ... I'm going to be faced with my own sinfulness. If if I'm trying to do good things to repay the bad things I've done, I'm just condemning myself. I'm I'm actually listing or glorifying my sin. So we get to verse 19. For I through the law am dead to the law that I may live unto God. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. It is faith in Jesus' perfect fulfillment of the law that imputes or transfers the record of his death to my record. It applies what Jesus did on the cross to me. Therefore, when Christ was crucified, Paul says, it was the same as if I were crucified. The only difference is Christ did all the suffering. The only difference is when Christ died, he came back from the dead in three days. If I die with my sin, I have no such alternative, no such hope, no such power. But Jesus did. You see, I'm not, last verse here, I'm not frustrating the grace of God. I'm living in the grace of God. Could we say amen to that? You see, salvation can only come through faith in Jesus Christ. Because if I will believe that He lived a perfect life without sin, that He died in my place, then God counts His death as my death. I am now dead to the law. I escape the penalty of the law because Jesus paid it for me. Now, I've never heard of this being done, but uh, men have written many stories about it, of another man suffering death, the death penalty, so that another person could be set free. I I do not believe there's any such provision, nor, nor has there ever been in American law. Uh, once you are sentenced to die, if they carry through the sentence, you are the one that's going to die. No one can die for you. It's got to be you, because that sentence was passed upon you. But the Bible says, Hebrews chapter 2, we've read the verse several times in the last several weeks, that God has allowed or given Jesus to taste death for every man. That he should be one sacrifice for sins forever. You see, only through faith, can you not frustrate the grace of God? You see, if you, if you get this, when, if, I, if God really had a scale where He weighed the good and the bad, every time I bring something good, I'm reminding God of something evil I've done. Jesus paid for everything evil that I've ever done so that when I bring a good work to Him, It's not a payment. It's not an earning. It's not an accounting. It should be an act of love toward Him who loved me. Amen? And so let's go to the next passage, James chapter 2. And this is a passage which Mr. Luther didn't want to put in his Bible. Because let's start in verse 17. Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Now, that's a hard passage. It almost seems to contradict what Paul was saying in the book of Galatians. And yet, we know there is no contradiction in the Scripture. And here's where the contradiction is. Is James is talking about after salvation. Paul was talking about before salvation. See, you cannot do works to earn your salvation. You have to get salvation. It's a gift that's applied to your life by faith. Amen? But after you're saved, then your faith is supposed to work. Amen? And we're given two examples here. Uh, We've been through this story. You cannot preach on faith and the Bible and not talk about Abraham and Isaac. Amen? Uh, One of the greatest displays of faith in the entire Bible. And and we look right here in verse uh, 21. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar... Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect, and the Scripture was fulfilled, which saith Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, for he was called the friend of God. Ye see how then, that by works a man is justified, and not by faith only. Now we have to be careful. Because we are so conditioned of a works-based salvation. This is not talking about that. The issue of salvation is already settled. Abraham had already believed God. It had already been counted for righteousness. Now, how did Abraham display faith in sacrificing Isaac. And of course, we all know that he never went through with it all the way. Isaac was bound. He was laid on the wood. The fire was there. He was just about to take the knife and, and kill his son, and then he would light the fire. The book of Hebrews tells us that Abraham was so childish in his understanding of this. He said, God promised that my seed would be through Isaac. Now God says He wants Isaac offered as a burnt sacrifice. Therefore, Isaac will be raised from the dead because God never goes back on His promises. Does anybody see how simple A plus B equals C that is? Uh, uh, That is the basis of faith. It is believing God's Word, believing that there's no contradictions, This is the greatest problem we face when we deal with scholarship is people put themselves in the place of God over His Word and reinterpret the Word to mean things that make sense to them. That's not faith. That's why we have so many different religions today. I mean, not to just pick on Islam, but it is not hard to figure out the tenets of islam being developed by one perverted man in the uh, in the 5th uh, century there the 600s uh, it, it's uh, it's not too hard to figure this out uh women were nothing but property uh they were there to please the man uh when you get to heaven you get a whole harem of virgins i mean you you got Anybody that figured this thing out has no clue as to the joy and the blessings of a marriage to one woman what it is. And of course, we read Muhammad's life and, and honestly, no woman was safe in his presence. That's why they have all the rules that are there. I mean, this, this guy was... A a terrible human being. And you can get your head cut off for saying that in an Islamic country. That is blaspheming the prophet. And yet not one honest Muslim will deny any one of those facts. Because they are historically accurate. It's not too hard to figure out this thing in the Catholic Church. Why the Pope can speak without error. Well, if you were the Pope... That'd be a pretty good thing to say about yourself. Now, wouldn't it? Uh, I mean, it, it just is nonsense. And yet, when we come to the Bible, all of those things clutter and confuse and distract the simplicity and the message. If your faith Cannot believe God's word, period. What kind of faith do you have? Now, aren't you glad God will never test you like he did Abraham? I certainly am. I'm glad that I was born when I was. That I can hold the whole counsel of God in my hands. And Abraham exhibited faith by simply believing God's word. But Abraham believed God's word that he rose up the next morning. Read Genesis chapter 22. We'll try to keep moving here so we don't get too late. Read Genesis chapter 22. He rose up early the next day. He took the fire. He took the knife. He took the wood. He took every, he took Isaac. Uh, he made sure that the Servants stayed here at the base of the mountain and were so far away that they could not see or perceive what Abraham was about to do because Abraham knew that those servants would judge him uh, as a madman and would stop him from bringing any harm to Isaac. And yet God had said this, and God was illustrating a point to his friend. I love that part. Of all people in the Old Testament, Abraham understood what Jesus was going to do. He understood there would be no substitute. There would be no ram caught in the thickets when God's Son marched up that same mountainside and would be suspended between heaven and earth on an old rugged cross. And God stopped Abraham before he did one bit of harm. And I I love to put this in. Again, this is my opinion. I don't think Abraham was one of those guys that carried the rope behind his back and when his son wasn't looking, gotcha, tied him up. I, I believe there was some cooperation there. I believe Abraham sat Isaac down and explained to him what was going to happen. And Isaac shared his father's faith. And was obedient. I don't know any way a 118 year old man's going to tie up an 18 year old boy, huh? Like I told you, when my, when my boys get uh, about 15, 16 years old, we stop arm wrestling and all those other things. Uh, you know, I just don't want to get hurt. Amen. Uh, uh, the, the truth of the matter is, this whole thing was about faith. But that faith couldn't be demonstrated unless Abraham got all the things that were necessary, unless he traveled to the place where God told him to, unless he left the servants where he did, unless only Isaac and he ascended the top of that mountain, uh, unless he got cooperation from his son to make this whole thing happen, just to have God stop him at the very last moment. But I want to challenge you that Abraham had already done this thing a thousand times in his heart. In those days that he was traveling there. That he was holding on to faith. Everything was about watching that son be resurrected from the ashes of that burning of that offering. And that's why the Bible says, which he received him in a type. As far as Abraham was all concerned, he had already did it. Psychologists tell us if you stop and you think about something three times, if you'll sit there and dream your way through, you can put the stress on your body of having done that very thing. That's why it's good not to think about sin and sinful things because it's not healthy. We've got to be careful and watch what we allow in our minds and in our hearts. Because that's where faith begins. So we come back to James chapter 2. And we have um, two more verses here. Likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she received had received the messengers and had sent them out another way? So, in Joshua chapter 2, we have the story of Rahab. Now, the two spies came into Jericho, and they were looking for a place to hide out. And so, there they went into Rahab's house. And what does the Bible say? She received them. She knew who they were. Now, I've had some questions uh, by people. Well, didn't Rahab lie? Oh, yeah. Did God bless Rahab's lie? Oh, no. He blessed her obedience. She received them. She hid them. She gave them instructions on how to evade the men that were hunting for them. And she took the scarlet thread, which the spies said would be the sign, and she bounded in her window that very day. It would be weeks, actually, before all of the things would happen. The children of Israel would cross the Jordan uh, River. They would camp at Gilgal. There there would be uh, several things that were happening. They were going to keep the Passover. And then comes Jericho. So here we have Rahab waiting all of this time with that scarlet thread tied in her window, knowing that as soon as the armies of Israel marched around the city or marched into the city was what she was expecting that all of her family would run into the house and lock the doors and they would stay there until the battle was over. And that was the sign that they would be saved. And what did Rahab do? She obeyed the words of the spies completely. She expressed her faith in God. Not perfectly, But would you expect someone of such poor character to express perfect and complete faith in God and say, I cannot tell a lie when her whole life to that point had been about lies. We go back to uh, uh, our first passage in Galatians chapter 2 as we seek to have faith in Christ. Sometimes we make ourselves transgressors, don't we? And so... Here, simply, the verse is, this passage is summarized by, for as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. So what we have here is James dealing with the issue of a workless faith and Paul dealing with the issue of a faith that cannot be earned by works. Are we all together on the differences? And we are speaking to two different groups of people about two different times in a person's life. And that we understand that faith must save without works. But once you're saved, faith must work. Things got to happen. How many of you can, if, if I were to call on you, could say, I've seen God do things in my life since I got saved. Amen? You see, that's Bible salvation. Now, I want to spend the last few minutes, I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8, and we're going to go down to verse 10. It says, when Jesus heard it, he marveled and said unto them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. Now, this is often a, a question that is asked is, how how do I measure my faith? How How do I know if I'm of a little faith or if I have great faith? How in the world can I tell? Well, there are two times in the Bible where Jesus uses the term great faith, referring to the faith that belongs to a person or that a person is expressing. And this is one of them. This was a Roman centurion. He had a servant that was dying. And he had sent his servants to Jesus to try to get Jesus to come to the house and heal the man. And then he got thinking about it. And he sent other servants, apparently, who said, you don't even have to come. All you have to do is speak the word. He said, I'm a man under authority as well. Now, that's rather unusual statement. He was comparing himself as a captain, we might say, a centurion, over a hundred men, to the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, I'm under authority just like you are. You see, the greatest authority on the face of the earth that time was the Roman Empire. No one stood in the way of Rome, now did they? There was no such thing as opposition to Rome in Jesus' day. Their armies were without loss. Not that they didn't lose men in battles, but they never lost a war. Uh, Just a few years after Jesus' life, they would demonstrate the near insanity that the Romans pledged in always succeeding in sending legions against a couple hundred Jewish people encamped on a mountain called Masada. And that's an incredible story to read. What those Jewish people did to uh, keep themselves out of the hand of Rome. And when Rome finally conquered and broke into the uh, the fortress there, it was one of Herod's old fortresses. When they broke into it, every man, woman, and child was dead. They had chose to kill themselves rather than to be taken prisoners by Rome. Uh, I don't agree with that kind of valor. I'm not sure that... uh, But the Lord does tell us that we never, ever have to surrender as Christians. And this Roman centurion said, Listen, I know the authority of Rome. And I know the authority that you serve as God the Father. And he says... Someone tells me to do something, I do it. I tell someone under me to do something, they do it. All you have to do, Jesus, is speak because all power is given unto you. You know, not one of the disciples expressed that kind of faith, even though they had seen Jesus raise the dead, calm the sea, walk on waters, feed the 5,000. It was Peter that said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then proceeded to say, You're not going to suffer. All in the same sentence almost. But this man showed great faith. Why? Because he simply believed in the power and authority of God. And he demonstrated that belief by trusting that Jesus did not even need to come into his presence. All he needed to do was speak the word. Now, the other story is found in Matthew chapter 15. I'd like you to turn there to verse 28. Matthew chapter 15, verse 28. This is the story of the one we call the Syrophoenician woman. She was a Canaanite. She was... Everything that was, could be wrong was wrong with her. And she would not take no for an answer. The disciples tried to send her away. Finally, Jesus went out. And his words were not kind. Verse 26. But he, Jesus answering, said, It is not meet to take the children's bread and cast it to the dogs. And she said, Truth, Lord. Yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Now, verse 28. Then Jesus answering said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. The second time. And by the way, the only two times where Jesus said great faith is right here. Now, what had she done that demonstrated great faith? She put the emphasis where it belongs how many times when we go to God do we we never would say it out loud I wouldn't think but when we're asking for something we really need or, or, or some great burden how many times have we prayed with the attitude God I really deserve you to fix this thing the way I think you ought to have you ever caught yourself there that's a very Dangerous place to be. Could I tell you tonight that that is exactly the opposite of where this woman found herself? Why would Jesus say such cruel words? It's not meat. It's not proper to take the children's food talking about the Jewish people and throw it to the dogs. I mean... In our day and time, unless you're Donald Trump, you could lose a political election over something like that. Uh, I mean, it, it's. Uh, I mean, would that remark be racist in the eyes of our uh, uh, Democratic friends who sit and pontificate? Uh, most certainly. Uh, you're not allowed to talk that way. Who, who do you think you are calling another human being a dog? And yet, what, did, what was her response? Truth, Lord, I'm not Jewish. I don't deserve the least of your mercies. I have no connection to you and your goodness whatsoever. But even the Jews cast the scraps from their table to the dogs in the street. You know what she was making this about? See, it was no longer about her. It wasn't even about her daughter anymore. It was all about Jesus now, wasn't it? Even the littlest, tiniest, most worthless scrap of Jesus' power was more than enough. To put the powers of the devil aside and to give her what she needed. Sometimes we pray and we pray like, Well, God, I know that this is really not that big of a deal for you, but it is for me. That's not faith. You can't put God on a guilt trip. You can't manipulate his emotions. But if you want God to do something, you need to have a faith that's more than little. Amen? Jesus stepped in for the disciples. Oh, faithless generation. How many times did he... He condemned them for, O oh, ye of little faith, and then said, Peace, be calm. And it was calm. You see, we need to understand something. Faith saves without works. But once you're saved, faith has to work. And if you want great faith, You have to get yourself out of the equation. Because it's not about you. It's about God. Just like Abraham, he held on to God's words. That's all he did. Did it make any sense? Well, to Abraham it made perfect sense. Isaac's going into this thing alive and Isaac's coming out alive because God said he would be around to have children and to carry on my line. That's not an unreasonable faith. That's just a biblical one. That's a non-contradictory understanding of what God said. Amen? And what we simply need if we want to see God work in our life, is we need to stop coming up with complex things and just simply hold on to God's Word. Just simply do what's right. Just simply believe. And, and and that belief is going to be manifest when a person gets saved. They believe to the point that they call upon the name of the Lord and get saved. Amen? But as many as received Him. How do you receive Jesus as your Savior? God, be merciful to me, a sinner, is the simplest way. Understanding that Jesus died on the cross for you, that He rose again for you, and that His works will be counted for your works. His death will be counted for your death. That's how a person gets saved. But once the Holy Spirit of God comes to live inside us, He intends for us to show the world our faith by the way we live. And if we want great faith... All we have to do is understand it's all about Jesus. It's not because we're worthy. I have boldness to enter into the holiest of all by the blood of Jesus Christ. But I don't have a right. That that word is used so poorly in our modern English. I have the privilege through the forgiveness that Jesus has given me. Amen? It's all about what God wants to do. He put this woman's faith on display by calling her a dog. And by the way, is any sinner worth more than that to God? Do any one of us have a right to ask for God's mercy based upon anything other than his love for us? You see the difference. And that's what great faith is. And we need to pray that in this coming year, that my faith, that your faith, will not be little faith, weak faith, without faith. But we need to pray that God would give us great faith to live in these last days for Him. And all God's people said, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before You. We thank You for Your love. We thank You for Your Word. We thank You that this idea of faith is open for whosoever will. And that all we need to do is believe yet you're not going to leave us stay the way we were when we got saved. You're going to change us and you're going to move in our hearts and in our lives to bring glory to your name. Take just a moment before we finish that prayer. If anyone needs to slip out of a seat, the altar's open.